20, beginning at 23, no, I'm sorry, 20 through 23. Please rise, stand, okay. Chapter 20, verse 20. When he said this, he showed them his hands. Oh, I'm sorry. 19, day of the week. The doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. When he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. This is the word of the Lord. Michelle, thank you for your flexibility for letting me change my plans at the last minute. Um, but uh, appreciate appreciate it, and um, it is good to be together this morning. Um, so several years ago, I heard what is probably the funniest story um, about somebody um, expressing their their love of the resurrection that I've ever heard in my life uh, as a pastor. Um, and he, he was sharing how his family was on a walk, um, he and his wife and their, their two kids, um, and his young son kind of in the middle of the walk, he's on a little big wheel, you know, riding along, and all of a sudden, like, pulls up beside his dad and goes, hey, dad, did you know Jesus died on the cross? And, um, and he's like, you know, well, I'm, th- this, this is my role, this is where I live. I said, so I feel like it's my job to, to like, help him continue on sort of interrogate his faith a little bit. Let's see, what, let's see where this is going. I said, that's right, son. You're absolutely right. I said, and then what? And he gets this kind of, like, he's confused for a second, and then there's like this growing realization on his face, and so he's, he's watching him work through it, and, and he jokes and says, you know, he said, I'm, I'm waiting for something, you know, truly profound, you know, well, Father, after Jesus' fully atoning work on the cross, the implications of the resurrection are are boundless. And uh, it says instead what happens a couple minutes later is he, he sees the light bulb go on and in, in the little boy excited voice, his son pumps his fists and yells out, and then a bunny brings, brings me candy. And his wife looks at him like, you have failed our family. Uh, but um, and it, it, was, it was a great introduction to then talking about the, the way we are a we are a resurrection people. We're a resurrection faith. That as much as we talk about the cross, and rightly so, if the cross was the end, if the cross was the end and there was no resurrection, then it, it means nothing. Um, that the resurrection itself provides so much of what we know of our faith. And so this in this text that we're slowly working our way through in chapter 20 and then into, into chapter 21, you know, John has been revealing the book of glory. John has been revealing the glory of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. And so we've, we've gone through now the, the gathering darkness of Jesus' arrest, trial, and then the, the gloom and, and decay, so to speak, to, to visibilize anyway, of Jesus dying, the death of a dream. Um, 
and Jesus has died. And now what we're doing, what we're seeing John reveal to us is, is kind of the dawning glory. And he's doing it kind of in stages, really. So it's, it's almost like you're, you're in a dark hallway. We let it at the end of the hallway. And we have a door that's been cracked. And so we're, we're going down to the end of the hall. We started with just like a glimmer of light, just a glimmer of hope. And now as we're going through 20, we're, we're getting to the doorway and the door is slowly opening. And so with every little story, we're getting a widening of that door, a widening of the beam of light, a widening and brightening of the glory of God revealed in the resurrection of Jesus. So we started with kind of the first thing is on in the morning of the, of the first day of the week, on, on that Sunday morning when the women go to the tomb, um, and then we know that they, they find the tomb empty, they come back and they tell, and, and uh, as, as John says, you know, as, as a friend of mine says, John records of how like, they came and discovered that the tomb is empty, and also I'm faster than Peter. Um, and, um, and so we have, we have that that's just like, okay, the tomb is empty, Something different has happened. The the implication that maybe, just maybe, yes, Jesus is not Jesus is not there. Could it be this is saying Jesus is alive? Even better. And now then she has this, she has the experience of meeting and talking with her risen Lord. And so she, there's there's this growing sense of the wonder of Jesus' resurrection. Well, now we go on to the next stage because this is the first time where we see it, it goes beyond just one individual. Um, that This is the first time in John, anyway, that we see it goes beyond one individual that he appears to multiple people. He comes and he meets with the disciples in the upper room. And so for this morning, we see that, that the resurrection, I want to focus on the fact that, that the resurrection brings us these incredible gifts, just like that pastor talked about, that the implications of the resurrection are amazing. And it's not that a bunny is bringing us candy, but there are gifts that are in fact being given. Those are pale reflections that we've created. So we're going to see it throughout, but there's two gifts that come from the resurrection that we want to focus on this morning. One is the gift of peace, and then the other is the gift of purpose. So first, as we see the, the gift of peace, that on that evening in the first day of the week, the disciples are in another room. That, that should kind of remind us of a time not too long ago where they were in a room together with their Lord, uh, sharing the Passover meal together and all the wonderful things that happened in that as Jesus taught them, as he ate with them, as he instituted the Lord's Supper. But now they're in a, a very different place. Um, they're, they're in a place of, it says, fear, and there's obvious concern. And then suddenly, Jesus appears to them, and he says, peace be with you. There's three things that I want to I address here that are in this text about the, the things that Jesus' peace offering addresses with them. Uh, first of all, the fact that it addresses their doubts. Jesus meets them in a place of doubt because they have been told that Jesus has risen. They have been told that Jesus is resurrected, and yet there's still questions that are going on. They don't understand. They don't fully, they certainly don't fully believe. In fact, we know we're going to hear more about the one who wasn't there, Thomas, um, who still struggled with it after hearing from everybody else. But Jesus appears in the midst of them, 
and he, he is appearing in power with them. He's appearing in, in power and in, in some measure of glory because he has this new body that doesn't seem to meet the rules and regulations that we're used to in our world. But for them, this was not initially, this was not initially a matter of great comfort. They saw Jesus, but they weren't automatically overjoyed. It wasn't until we're told they he told them to come and see, come and see the wounds, the wounds in his hands, the wounds in his side. And when they did, then we're told, then they were overjoyed. The reason for that is because in their, in their doubts, in their questions, we're, we're told in another gospel and Luke that at this meeting, their initial thought was kind of like other times in Jesus' ministry where he showed up out of nowhere and they didn't know what to do. Their first thought was, this is a ghost. They had doubts and questions to understand. They didn't fully comprehend or believe the bodily resurrection. They had doubts and questions about that despite Mary's testimony. And yet, then Jesus shows up in the middle of that and says, Peace be with you. Here, see that it is in fact me. And he gives them the chance to see him, to touch him, to recognize the marks in his hands and his feet. And it is interesting, too, that we have, we have these marks. We, we talk about the fact that Jesus still bears the scars on his hands and feet. And it is, a, it is amazing and should be amazing to us that Jesus, in his resurrected state, comes to them and meets them in their weakness, in their doubt, with just what they need to answer the questions. That this is, it is a bodily resurrection, and it's not some sort of hoax he did, in fact, go to the cross. He did, in fact, die. He is, in fact, raised again. And it's, and it's important to recognize within this, I think when I, was, when I was little, somehow I thought that the scars that Jesus bore were because in some way of the sin, right? The, the, the scars left by sin. I think I sort of, there's some other stories that relate how sin affects us with scars. And somehow in my own mind, I conflated the two, um, that when I was younger, I thought that Jesus bears the, scars on his, bears the scars on his body because of how he bore my sin, and then it left a mark on him. And I have, I have realized through the pages of Scripture that, that that doesn't fit what Scripture says about him conquering sin and death and the grave, because if those things had the power to leave a lasting mark on him that he could not defeat, then they still have power over him, right? If sin, has, if sin has left a lasting mark, a lasting stain, if you will, on his resurrected body, then he is still not totally conqueror over those things. And what I've come to realize instead is that he bears the marks not because of what we did to him, but instead what he is trying to show us, what he's trying to reveal to us. He is trying to be there for us to, to show us the proof. He didn't have to have scars, but he bears scars for our sake. He continues to take on the act of a servant for us. So that for our benefit, in our doubts, 
just as they doubted the bodily resurrection, that for each, each and every one of us, as we come to the cross, as we come to the empty tomb, that we can recognize Jesus crucified and risen again and say, he is, in fact, enough. So this morning, if you are struggling to believe that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the answer is to go and look deeply at him, to go and search and see him as he is, as he reveals himself to, to be, because I'm confident that he stands up. The testimony of Scripture of who he is, as you come and you see him, and as you come and you reach out to him, it stands up. If this morning, if you are already a believer in Christ, if you are already a follower, just as the disciples were, but you are wrestling with your own doubts because you don't see you don't see the resurrection power yet. You know, kind of in the same way they were, the disciples were waiting, that you have been waiting, and there are things where you don't see the fulfillment of the promises, and you're struggling to continue to carry on. Then we come back and we look again, and that he brings peace to us. He brings that sense of shalom, that sense of wholeness, soundness. We use his strength, his life, as the source of our own. And we take hold of that to steady us. Secondly, we also see that, that the way Jesus appears answers the question of our fears. So it, we're, we're told that the doors were locked because the disciples were in fear, um, that they were locked in the room for fear of the Jews in verse 19. When Jesus comes among them, now that's, that is significant because, again, we, we have this display of power that Jesus does in appearing to them. So the disciples are still nervous. They still don't know what's going on. And it, it's interesting that they have heard that Jesus has risen from the dead, and yet they're still wrestling with this enough that they're still trying to, to, to deal with their thoughts and their feelings and everything about all of this enough that they're, they're still huddled up in some room. And the way it says that, that the doors were locked suggests that there is a bolt across the door to prevent anybody from breaking in. And then they're in another room in the house, and that room in the house is also, also bolted, barred shut to prevent. That's how nervous they are about what's going on. They have multiple doors locked between them and the outside world. They are in crisis mode, and then Jesus shows up in the middle of them, in the midst of them, this great description of his power that he just appears. And I think we are to understand that he doesn't, he didn't just like walk in, you know, somehow make the door open or anything like that. He simply appeared between them. It fits because we know from another of the passages in Scripture excuse me, we know from Luke chapter 24 that this dovetails very well with what happened on the road to Emmaus. In Luke 24, verse 13, we're told that very day, so this is on the same day, this is after Mary has gone to the tomb, this is before the disciples have, have had their, their meeting at the evening time. It says that very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. 
but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And they said, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that he had, that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were, went with, who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer all these things and enter into his glory? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And then they say to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And then they get up, and they go hurrying back to Jerusalem to tell everybody else. So on the same day, we have this conversation that Jesus has with the two men on the road to Emmaus where he reveals to them how Jesus was in fact supposed, all this was supposed to happen. Um, and then they recognize him at, when they're okay with us. So then they have, they have a meal together. And during the middle of the meal, when he breaks the bread, he reveals himself to, to them and then disappears out of their midst. Time-wise, that means seven miles from Jerusalem, sometime in the, sometime in the evening. So not too far away from when, from when uh, the disciples are having their meeting, right? Because we know it's in the evening of, the, of that third day, of the first day of the week. So Jesus sits down to, that, to dinner with the men in Emmaus at the start of the evening, and then he reveals himself, he disappears, and then suddenly he reappears with the disciples in Jerusalem in an upper room. So this is an incredible display of who he is, his power, and the fact that their fears are, are unnecessary. If Jesus is capable of disappearing, appearing at will, proving again his power over death and hell and the grave, um, and even his power over time and space, then their fear over what the Jews are going to do to them, their fear of their current place in the world is unnecessary. They can trust that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah he claimed to be, and they can trust that his plan for them is still secure. So he answers their fears. And this morning, I, I wonder, do you, are you struggling to believe that your God is big enough for your current circumstances? 
That's something we all wrestle with sometimes, right? When, when our eyes, kind of like Peter's did um, when he wanted to walk on the water, uh, when our eyes become so focused on the things around us instead of focused on our Lord that we lose sight of him and we be, begin to falter. But again, here in the room, he reminds us that he is God. He is the power of the resurrection and that through that, he brings answers to even our greatest fears. Finally, uh, I want to I want to highlight the fact that Jesus' appearance to them and pronouncing peace answers the question of their failures as well. Because the fact is, the last time that we saw all of them together, we had any extended knowledge of all of them together, is when they were in the garden with Jesus together at his arrest. And then upon his arrest, they scatter. They disappear. They all break up. In Matthew 26, 56, and Mark 14, 50, when Jesus uh, is arrested excuse me, by the the cohort sent by the Jewish leaders and led by Judas, then they scatter. And so now Jesus comes to them, and you could imagine that he might say, really? You you couldn't hold out hope? Kind of like you did in the garden when some of them, when they fell asleep when they were supposed to be praying with him? You couldn't even watch a little while? Um, you, You might imagine how much more than that on his arrest and when they scattered that he might go, you couldn't have even stuck with me through the trial. You couldn't have even lasted that long. I wasn't even asking you to go to the cross. You can imagine he, he could have raked him over the coals and a blessing over them as he says, again, peace be with you and says, now, as I was sent, I'm going to send you. He says the, that I'm not leaving you. You're not thrown out. You still belong to me. So his, his, his appearance and response says that they don't need to question their acceptance before him, that they still belong to him. I like, I like the way Charles Spurgeon uh, wrote it in one of his sermons. Uh, he says, our master came to his cowardly, faithless disciples and stood in the midst of them uttering this cheering salutation, peace be unto you. My soul, why should he not come to thee, though thou be the most unworthy of all whom he has bought with his blood? And my answer to that is, thank God for that. Because between what I know of you and what I know of me, I, I would have to say that compared to the things I know about you anyway, I am a far worse sinner than you. That may simply be because I don't know all of your sins, but... But the bottom line is, I'm much more aware of my sins than anybody else's. Um, And I know that I am in desperate need of a Savior. I don't deserve grace. There is no way I can deserve grace. And yet, it has been offered to me freely. And just like to them, he did not hold back. So for us, we have the promise that he does not hold back his forgiveness. He does not waver in it at all, that to to cowards, um, to faithless ones, to half-hearted disciples, he still comes and says, peace be to you. So the resurrection answers our doubts, our fears, and our failures. And then the second gift that we receive is the gift of purpose, that the resurrection is then, is it's proof of our mission. As I said there in uh, in 21, 
He says, as, as I have been sent, like immediately following peace be to you, immediately following like the, the sense of, of, um, of resolution that everything is okay. As Pastor Scott mentioned last week, immediately after the gift of joy that is given, of recognizing that it is Jesus, he is real, he is raised, is then given a mission to follow through on. He says, as I have been sent, so I am sending you. This is interesting because um, there, there are a few different little things that happen in this passage that are, that are really strange. Um, and that should call our attention to a few different things. One is the fact that um, that Jesus gives them, seemingly gives them the Holy Spirit. He tells them to receive the Holy Spirit, right? And then we're told in Acts chapter 2 that that's when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. So there's that. There's, there's also the question of forgiveness and not forgiving sins. The actual Greek, Greek words there are saying, are, are saying that for those who you forgive, their sins are forgiven. For those who you do not, their sins are retained. Their sins remain. Um, so forgiveness and retention of sins is offered. And, and that's a whole question that has given um, people fits throughout the ages. You know, the Catholic Church has decided that that means that the only people who have the power to forgive sins are the clergy. Um, there are other people who believe that that really means nothing. That's, um, and there are people who, who just um, are kind of in the middle of those. So we do want to t- talk about these variety of things. Uh, but they all have the same end, is that it is part of the mission that Jesus gives. So, so first is the idea of the, what the mission is, what they are in fact supposed to go do. And that answers the question of what this forgiveness of sins is all about. So I want to point us back to a couple of different scriptures. If there are questions about what does it mean, I think anytime you're trying to interpret a confusing passage of scripture, it's always good to use other passages of scripture that are more clear, right? So in Mark chapter 2, one of the, the, the initial miracles that Jesus um, is recorded doing in the Gospel of Mark is he heals a lame man. He heals a man paralyzed. And the Jewish leaders of the day are deeply offended by this and looking for a reason to, to get him in trouble. They're not offended by that. Not, not at first because of him healing. They're not offended by that. It's because when the man is brought to him, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. And in Mark chapter 2 and verse 7, then the the Pharisees say, only God has the power to forgive sins. Only God has the power to forgive sins. So when Jesus responds, he doesn't answer them by going, well, actually, whoever God gives authority to has the power to forgive sins. Instead, he he is pointing out that their argument is flawed because he is, in fact, God. He says, so he said, to prove to you that I have the power, he doesn't negate what they say. Instead, saying, to prove to you that I have the power to forgive sins, then I say, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And he heals the man to showcase that he does, in fact, have the authority. So it seems like Jesus doesn't refute the claim that only God has the power to forgive sins. 
Second place I want to turn is, is the book of Acts. When the Holy Spirit does, in fact, fall upon them, and we get, we get the famous Pentecost moment of them rushing out into, um, into Jerusalem and telling the host that's gathered there to worship the message of Jesus, that in verses 37 to 39, the host that's there when Jesus, uh, sorry, when, when Peter first gives his great sermon about who Jesus was and what he has done, it says that the people who are there are pricked in the heart and they say, what are we to do? Um, at that moment, if we're to take it literally uh, that, that Jesus is telling them, you can, you can forgive whoever you want, you can choose to not forgive whoever you want, then, then Peter could have just said, you're forgiven. It's done. He doesn't. What does he say? He says, repent of your sins, believe, and be baptized. So that's, that is essentially the message of the gospel, to, to repent of your sins, to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the one who, was, who came to live the perfect life for us, to die our perfect death that we couldn't do, that takes our place, and then to be baptized into that. So that's, the, that's what they offer. So by, by the implication of both what Jesus has said previously and by, by how the disciples begin following, carrying out what he says to do under the authority of the Holy Spirit, under the power of the Holy Spirit, we should understand that what's being, what's being described here is Jesus says, whatever you proclaim is forgiven, is forgiven. Whatever you proclaim is not forgiven, is not forgiven. But that's always going to be based on the gospel message itself. That is going to be based on, on pronouncing the gospel. And if somebody comes and says, I want to receive it, then you can tell, let them know they are forgiven. That they don't have to do something else. That they don't have to find another way. As we would see later on in Acts when people are trying to figure out if they have to keep the Jewish law or not. That, that they don't have to do extra things on top of that. That is still an incredible opportunity and an incredible gift to be able to come to people who are bound up in their mess of sin, who think, I, I can't go to God this way, and, and I, don't know how to, I don't know how to get better, but I can't go and become a Christian until I'm better than I am. To be able to tell those people, no, this is the message of Jesus Christ. You can't be better but he has already been perfect for you. And so all you have to do is believe and that when they put their trust in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins, that then that is enough. And we get to say, you are forgiven. You are fully accepted. There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a beautiful gift that we've been. time. It's an amazing thing. To see, to see the freedom. Like, if you have ever had the chance of sitting with somebody who comes to faith um, as it happens and watched it happens, Jesus says, peace be to you, right? You see what peace and joy looks like as it hits and that, that incredible satisfaction and that incredible relaxation of just, it's enough. I, I'm his now. Um, that is amazing to bear witness to. And then, of course, tied to that, just as 
The power to forgive sins uh, doesn't really come from us. The power to carry out the message is coming through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Um, that when he sends them out, it's not, it's not, um, it's not alone. Do you remember back um, previously when he sends them out two by two? He blesses them, right? He blesses them and, and sends them out with his spirit um, so that they will be empowered to do that work. Now, this is simply, this is simply saying, now you're going to get it for the long haul. It's not a temporary thing. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit for good. Um, and with that then, we see that he's, he is again calling back to the fact that all things are becoming new. So it says Jesus, in order to pronounce this blessing of receiving the Holy Spirit, that he breathes on them. And, I, and it is not an accident that then the Greek word that is used there, anaphysicin, is, is the same Greek word that's used in the Septuagint in Genesis 2, verse 7, where we're told that God breathes onto dust. He fashions dust into Adam, and he breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, and Adam becomes a living soul. So this is the new creation that in Christ we, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we understand here that that there aren't, it's not like there are two. Um, and this is where I think we would d disagree with some brothers who, who think that there's more than one place. Oh, we receive the Spirit now, but we're filled with the Spirit later. We simply recognize that Jesus is saying that, that it's coming. It is now, he is sealing them with the promise of his own breath to say, receive the Holy Spirit. Just as I promised the Comforter is coming, I'm giving you the seal that I am saying it is, it is coming. But the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to be the comforter just like him, the paraclete, the comforter just like him while he's not present. So the reason why it doesn't happen right then is because Jesus is still with them and he's going to be with them. Uh, he still has a few days before he's going to ascend. But instead, that they are given the statement that essentially... Here's, it's kind of, it's kind of like getting a receipt for the gift. So if, if somebody gives you something and goes, okay, here's, here's your present, here's the ticket. All you have to do is go and exchange it. You don't have the gift yet, but, it's, but you have everything that you need to be given to, to get it. You just have to physically go over and turn in the ticket to get the gift. That's all it requires. In, in this way, Jesus is saying, you have what you need. I am saying the Holy Spirit is coming. And it's just a matter of time until they, until they transfer in his promise for the act of the Holy Spirit itself. And then in receiving the power of the Holy Spirit, we receive not only that, not only the ability to carry out what he does, but in the Holy Spirit, we're given this, in this new creation, we're given God's presence. We're given his heart so that we can begin to reflect it, so that we can begin to care about others as we go and share that news. We can go and, and tell them the truth because we desperately want them to receive it because we see them just as he did as lost sheep without a shepherd. We see them as he does. I've said this to a few different people. I don't think I've ever said it in a, in a sermon. If I have, I apologize. Um, but about 15 years ago, um, 2008, 
um, a guy named Pendulette. Um, that may not mean anything to you. If I say Penn and Teller, that probably does more. Um, they're, they're a magician act, uh, a magic act. Um, and, and Penn especially is very vocal about being an atheist. Like he is a raging atheist. Um, he is, um, he's done some very public things. Like he took some sort of challenge where he went out in public and, and on a whim or, or as a response to this challenge, denied, denied the Holy Spirit's existence publicly and out loud just as, a, as an external statement. He likes to sort of flaunt these sort of things. And yet, um, back in 2008, um, he recorded a video. You can actually find it if you want to go on YouTube. And I want to play the whole thing because it rambles a little bit. Um, but he has a video where he describes being at a show and a man who, who um, was one of the volunteers that came up as part of the act waited after to talk to him and, um, and say how much he enjoyed the act and then gave him a Bible. If you want to look it up, um, look up the, his name and just gift of a Bible, and you can find it on YouTube. You can find his video. And he records seeing, he records his experience. Now, for him, this wasn't, this wasn't saving. This wasn't transforming. Um, he, he, in fact, the, the person gave him a Gideon New Testament, and he, he's so unaware of biblical things that, that he described it as. So it was a Gideon pocket New Testament but I think it said Psalms. So I think it was only the Psalms of the New Testament. So it was like it was part of the New Testament. Um, so, yeah, so he doesn't recognize that Psalms are part of the Old Testament and that that's actually saying it's the New Testament plus the book of Psalms. You know, he doesn't have any familiarity with those kind of things. Clearly, he did not read it. Um, but, but out of that, what he said was simply he appreciated it, that the guy was honest, he was rational, in, in explaining that he, he shared that he was, he was a Christian, um, he wasn't a crazy person, but that he believed that this was real um, and that he, he wanted Penn to know it too. He offered him this Bible. He said, he re- I wrote a little note on there. It said it wasn't anything super deep, but it was just that he, he hoped that I would read it. He said, he, and he listed like five contact numbers if, we, if he ever wanted to, to get in touch with, uh, if I ever wanted to get in touch with him. And he said his, his reaction was just like, that is awesome. His description it was explained this way, that he says, if you believe, if you believe in heaven and hell and judgment and redemption, that these are the most important things in the world. He said, if I thought that there was, if I thought and saw that there was, there was somebody in the road and a truck was going to hit them, I'm going to be concerned for that person. At some point, if nothing happens, I'm going to try and tackle them out of the way. That was what he said. And he said, and this, by, by their own proclamation, is more important than that. It's the weight of eternity. If you believe that to be true, how much do you have to hate someone to not want to tell them? Um, how much do you have to hate someone to not want to tell them about this truth? And, but he's trying to do good, and I appreciate that. Um, but far more, I would look at that and say, even though, even though the, the message was not well received, just as he recognized, I would say, man, I love the fact that that guy's heart was willing to see this raging atheist and go, you don't have to be. 
You don't have to be condemned. You don't have to end up in hell. You don't have to be judged for your sin. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ and instead have him be judged for you. And so that's, that for us is the gift of the resurrection, that we have been given a mission and that we've been given the means to carry it out through the power of the Holy Spirit. I, I'd simply ask at the end just, when's the last time? Have you talked with anybody recently? Uh, if you're a believer in Christ this morning, have you started those conversations? And I understand that sometimes those conversations don't go anywhere because the person shuts you out. They shut you down. But for somebody, does that mean you, did you stop? Did you give up? Um, did you look for somebody else? You know, are, are you still pursuing to share that message with others? Or has your heart gotten a little bit cold? In which case, come back again, taste of the resurrection, and see the beauty of it, the power of it, the wonder of it, and be encouraged to rekindle yourself, to rearm yourself, to continue to carry that message to people who very much need it. Uh, at this point, team's going to come up uh, to bring us to worship uh, as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. Just as a reminder, this is um, for, for anybody who's not familiar with how, how we do it. So we have two tables here, um, two sets of dishes. Um, there's going to be wine or juice. You have your option, either one. Within those trays, there will be, a cu there will be cups of wine. There will be cups of bread. You can come up when you're ready as the, as the team is singing uh, and take those. And then also, just remember, if... If you're looking uh, to, to do that, uh, we have opportunities, whether online or at the box in the back, to give. This is a suitable time uh, to be able to do that as, as we worship and prepare our hearts to take the Lord's Supper and remember his sacrifice for us.